Yeah, welcome you guys. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here and it's going to be a privilege to be able to open the scriptures with you. Um, my, like Mark said earlier, we're, we're wrapping up this, this short series on humility. We're in Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to be completing this, this section that he's got on, on humility. But what I want to do is um, actually have us read the sweep of this passage to get to the, the chunk that we're going to focus on this morning because... Everything that we're, we're going to focus on this morning is dependent on everything we have been taught over the last couple of weeks, the last two chunks of this uh, chapter. So I want to I start, if you've got your Bible open um, or your app or whatever, I'm going to start reading for you in Philippians 2, but I'm going to start in verse 1, even though we covered it a couple of weeks ago. But, but check this out. It's all on humility. This, this is maybe the, the most um, compact section in the whole Bible on how we need to embrace humility. So chapter 2, verse 1, it says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So obviously, you guys, he's, he's talking not to like individual Christians, but the collective of Christians in the church. Here it's the church that's gathered in the, in the city of Philippi. But, but he's saying to all of us, hey, I'm not just calling out to you as, as an individual, but as a people group, as, as a, a company of Christ followers, I want you to have this sameness, this unity, this one purposeness. okay? So then for that to happen, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So Ryan actually taught us this passage a couple of weeks ago, and rightly, he landed on the one phrase in there that is, I think, the, the most important, and every, everything else is an elaboration of it. And that is that humility, when really lived out, when embraced, when we let it saturate our souls, gives us brand new eyes, and we actually believe, we believe with all our hearts that the other people in front of us are more important than we are. That's what humility is. I really believe that the other people in front of me are more important than I am. You guys, I never saw this more just vividly played out than this last week. Um, so we got a call, uh, it's about a week and a half ago now, but my, my sister-in-law uh, was diagnosed with a, a very... Um, it's a stage four stomach cancer, and things are looking pretty, pretty bad, pretty bleak for my sister-in-law, Marilyn. Quick little background. It's not maybe just a sister-in-law. I've got tons of them. My wife's one of 13. I'm one of five. We got family all over the place. These, these, these guys are especially close because um, right after I gave my life to Christ, by God's grace, somehow I was able to lead my now wife, Teresa, to Christ. A month to the day later, her roommate, Marilyn, came to the Christ. A month to the day later... Her brother Terry came to Christ, and the four of us, I ended up marrying Teresa, Terry and Marilyn got married. So we've all kind of grown up spiritually together, right? We've, we've got kind of this little family within a family. Anyway, so Marilyn um, found out she had cancer. So we rushed to Chicago to be with them. Here's what I wanted to say that's about this passage. We get to their room, and it's like maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm standing there next to her bed, and she's got all this pain in, in her back that she, she thinks is just back pain, like slip disc. And she goes, oh, Jeff, you've got, 
these bulging discs too. Why didn't you tell me how painful it is? I'm so sorry. Tell me more about your back pain. And she starts going, and I'm an- actually answering her questions. And all of a sudden, I just stop. I'm like, Marilyn, stop. I'm not offering one more breath to tell you about my back pain. You're in a hospital bed. You've just been told you have cancer. Like, what are you doing? But, but in her mind, the minute I walked into the room, I was more important than she was. You know what I'm saying? And from that point on, every day in that hospital room, everybody that walked in that room, I, had, I noticed one specific thing about Marilyn. Everybody that walked in that room, nurses, doctors, friends, were more important than she was. Even though if there's ever a time in your life where you could like, justify being the most important person in the room, right? You're on the hospital bed. Nope. Everybody was more important than Marilyn. That's what I'm saying. This has to so saturate our souls that it never leaves. 24-7, you really believe, if you're humble, other people are more important than you are. Okay, so where does that come from? Now we get last week's text. Okay, so let's look at verses 5 through 11. Okay, I tell you what, I'm going to have this on the screens, actually, 5 through 11, because a lot of you have been memorizing this with us. And so I'm not going to test you, you know, you don't have to, like, close your eyes. Let's just read it out loud together. This is the chunk we're all, even if you haven't gotten it done yet, Keep going with it. This would be a fantastic passage to have just ready, kind of locked and loaded in your soul. Okay, so let's, let's read it out loud together. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here what we learn is that humility, when it comes to us, is actually something alien to us. It's foreign to us. We have to adopt it in, right? We have to bring it from the outside. And that, how we get humility, is actually from Christ. It's not going to be we're going to dig deep and find humility in there and kind of fan it into flame. No, no, no. It's not in there by nature. It's not in there. We have to find it from Christ. So we focus on Christ who, even though he had the highest position in the universe, God did not consider that position as something to just be used for himself. He looked down, saw us, believed that we were more important than he was in that sense, came down to us took on our likeness, became a servant to us, even to the point of dying on our behalf. And so if, if we want to lock in humility, we're going to believe that others are more important than ourselves, but where the, the source for that is going to come from Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. He is the one that's going to lead us and teach us and show us what humility actually looks like. Thus we come to today's passage, starting in verse 12, okay? So this is... Look at the very first word, therefore, my dear friends. Okay, why did I just go through this exercise of having the first two passages read? It's because this is kind of cheesy, but I think it's just really helpful. Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore, right? So the therefore is pointing us back to everything that he's been saying to this point. That's why I just had us go through this, because the therefore is going to make sense unless we're following his sweep of, of, 
of conversation he's been having with. So therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. I'm going to hit pause there. Can you let those six words kind of sink in a little bit? Because that's where we're going. I'm not going to pull any punches right now. Look at that. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Like, I think I could just stop right now and we'd all like, you know, okay, just warning you. That's where we're going. Okay. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Man, let's pray for some insights into this, huh? So, Lord, we do come to you. Um, we're not very teachable at times, Lord. Some of the truths that you bring us um, are hard for us, maybe not to understand, but to actually embrace. And so I pray for your Holy Spirit to be active in our hearts and souls, Lord, and even collectively as a church because we really do want to be this kind of church. We do. But it can be a hard path getting there. And so we're asking, Lord, would you give us that like determination in our souls to not only read these words, but to have them soak deeply into our souls and to actually live this stuff out. That's what we want, Lord. And we believe we want it because you want it for us. And as we embrace it, it'll be for our good. It'll be for your glory. We want to be those stars that shine in this world. So uh, to your glory, guide us and lead us in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So like I said, the therefore is there because it's, it's coming right on the heels of the Christ hymn. I mean, some of you guys, some of you ladies who have been in the women's Bible studies studied the, the Christ hymn of Colossians. Well, this is the like Christ hymn of Philippians and coming off that, the therefore, all the practical advice that we're getting in here is based on a real solid look at Jesus Christ. So even though we're going to get really practical today, don't miss the fact that the backdrop to all this is the glory of Jesus. Um, there's a, a quote that I, I wanted to bring to you from, from Life Together, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, because I think it, it nails this really well. He says this, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us just recede, Okay? The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ in his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another, holy and for eternity. What Bonhoeffer is trying to capture there is what, what I believe Paul is doing here. Look, we have Christ. He is the means of our unity together. He is the means by which we're going to experience this kind of humility and this kind of joy, even together as, as his people. 
Um, but don't make any mistake about the practicality of today. It's based on a, um, a solid theology, a really deep and solid theology. And it's really going to be simple. Okay, so here's how simple it is. I've got two points for you today, okay? And that's going to kind of throw some of you off because you're used to pastors having three points. I don't know why that is. Isn't it magical how every passage can be broken down into three points? You know, um, I don't know why we do that, but today it's two, okay? You can just add a third one later on if it makes you more comfortable. Um, the first point is this, obey God, <laughs> okay? This is how simple it is. Okay, I'm going to show you the second point because this is how simple it's going to get. Show the second one, obey God with a good attitude, okay? Do you start hearing like your mother or maybe grandmother it's not enough to obey. Obey with a good heart. You know what I'm saying? Well, they're actually getting that right out of the Bible, as it turns out. There's going to be two points, and, and I don't want you to, you guys, I'm kind of making fun of how simple it is, but don't mistake simplicity with, like, easy to embrace. Simple doesn't mean easy. This is going to be simple for us to understand. I don't believe that it's easy for us to live, okay? So don't let simplicity fool you, okay? Let's start with this, obey God. So look at verse 12 again. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, okay, obedience. It's all about obedience here. Not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. So he's saying, man, when I was there, I saw your obedience. It was un unbelievable when I turn my back, keep going, and I know you are still going. It's, again, back to the parenting thing. You know, it's, it's always okay when your kids are obeying you right when you're in the room, right? You want to know when you leave the room and you turn your back, when the babysitter's there or whatever, they're still doing the right thing. They're still obeying. He's saying, I've seen that obedience. I've watched it in you. Now, even more, when I can't be there, be obedient, right? But the way that he expresses it when he comes back to it, even more, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who is working in you, both to will and to work, according to his, his good purpose. Okay, this obedience is anchored in the Christ hymn. The last part of the Christ hymn, if you let your eyes glance back up, look at the last couple verses of that Christ hymn. Let's look, sorry, in verse 9. For this reason, God exalted Jesus, right? Gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, okay, not, not the name, comma, Jesus, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. That's the name that, that he's focusing on. Lord, the lordship of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Every knee bowed, lordship. So guys, Christians, if, if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian here today, it's more than just being a citizen of heaven. That's one of the phrases that Paul uses in the book of Philippians. It's more than being a citizen of heaven in the sense of, I've got my ticket to heaven and I can do whatever I want while I'm here on earth because really, it's just, I gotta be at the bus station at the right time to get to heaven. I've got my bus ticket, it's bought and paid for. I get to go to heaven. Just get me to the train station, get me to the bus station. That's where I'm gonna go. It's more than just a future destiny I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm going to go there someday. I'm going to get back to my homeland. It's more than that. It's people who have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ before being compelled to. Before that day where every part of creation 
even Satan himself and the demons who will do so, you know, like grimacing all the way down to one knee. No, no, no. Christians are those who have gladly surrendered to Jesus. We have taken a knee. We have bowed to his lordship. We have committed to obey our Lord. Lordship. He's our master. He's our king. He's our sovereign. And if we're Christians, we've, we've committed. Guys, it is absolutely what separates true believers from those who are just along for the ride. Obeying Jesus, taking a knee, surrendering even gladly. I, I want to read you one more quote. I won't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. But this, this dude, Walter Hansen, I think nailed this point. Listen to this. He says, when the path of obedience to Christ becomes steep and kind of dangerous, pleasure seekers look for an easier way. <laughs> okay? When all of a sudden it gets tough to follow Jesus, pleasure seekers look for an easier way. Religious tourists hunting for sensational entertainment. I love that. Religious tourists, right? We're just here for the fun of it. I don't actually stay here. I'm not going to stay a Christ follower. I'm just a religious tourist. Religious tourists hunting for sensational entertainment, instantaneous enlightenment, emotional excitement. We'll just jump on the newest rides, take the quick shortcut, but they will not be found with pilgrims on the long, hard road following in the footsteps of Christ. Christ was obedient to death, even death on a cross. We just read that, right? Obedient to death. Paul's call to unflagging Christ-like obedience will not be popular in a world that so highly values going fast and having fun and so quickly rejects enduring pain, submitting to authority, but the essential characteristic, listen, the essential characteristic of the wise who build their community on Christ is their consistent obedience to him. It's about obedience. We can't miss it. Obey God. And guys, he's not being critical of the Philippians. He's not guilt tripping them. He's actually saying, dear friends, I know you obey. You are obeyers. He's trying to commend them. He's trying to encourage them because he knows the Philippians have only known tough obedience. When you go back into the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 16, where the Philippian church actually has the gospel come to them for the very first time, they are born into adversity. The minute they come to Christ, there's riots in their cities. There's people trying to pressure them to stop being Christians. So they're, they're all of their Christian existence, it has been with, with adversarial pressures coming at them. And he's saying, I know that you've been obedient, but I'm saying you've got to keep going. Let your obedience come with even what he calls Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Now, does that mean Christians are supposed to be like afraid of God in the sense of like, oh man, he's erratic. Like, like maybe if you think of um, an abusive situation where you're always flinching like, oh man, is he going to suddenly just be mad? Don't, don't think like that when you think obey him with fear and trembling. No, no, no. It's not that we're afraid of God. It's that we've taken a need to bow before his lordship, and that kind of supersedes every other fear and every other thing on this earth. Um, look back real quick into chapter 1. I want you to see kind of the maybe context of their hearts. In chapter 1, verse 27, here's why I think he has to bring this out. Just one thing he says, 127, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I'll hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit and one accord. 
contending together for the faith of the gospel, hold together, band together. But look at this, verse 28. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but for your salvation. Why? This is from God, he says, verse 28. This is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's part of the whole following Christ, believing in him and suffering for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Guys, taking a knee, bowing the knee that we just read about in the Christ hymn, is more than just taking a knee in worship and adoration. It is that. It's also taking a knee in lordship and surrender, a glad surrender that says, Jesus, even if you call me to a hard path, I'm with you. And guys, just think about this. Who has the most impact for Christ? Think about this. Is it, is it the Christian who just has this happy life, carefree life, everything goes their way, never encountered any problems? Are they the ones that go around and have the big impact for Christ? Or conversely, are the Christians that have the most impact for Christ the ones who bump up against real adversity, bump up against real trial, real struggle, and find along the way as people watch them that there is still obedience. There is still worship. There is still surrender, even in the darkest of times. Those are the guys, right? We know that. Those are the ones that have the impact for Christ. Those are the ones who get the attention, right? Because they're showing that it is actually God at work, right? This is from God. It is God at work helping you and urging you along, compelling you down the right path. So again, just because it's so much on my mind, you're just going to have to hear about it again. Because the other thing I got to see, my dear sister Marilyn, um, you know, we had a lot of tears together, obviously. A lot of confusion, questioning, tr trying to figure out exactly what, 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 what's going on in her body, what the future might look like. So I'm, I'm not pretending it was all this glib, like, you know. But it was punctuated, you guys, with unbelievable times in the scriptures. Unbelievable times in prayer together. I mean... It was just the nearness of Christ through it all to where at one point, I mean, we've got doctors just coming. We had to start a whiteboard of just all their names and who, who's the hospitalist versus the intern. I don't even know. You know, so I have lots of people coming through the door trying to figure out what's going on. And at one point, one of the nurses had come in and she gets to the door and she just stops. And she turns around and she looks right at Marilyn. And she goes, I just want you to know, I love coming in this room. And then she turned around and just walked out, you know. And it just, you know what, again, this Philippians 2 was just coming through because here's what was going on. Marilyn is obeying Jesus even in the midst of a difficult time, right? She's still holding on and surrendering to Jesus and praying to him. Even though there's confusion, she's still a human trying to figure things out, a little fearful at times, but pushing forward, right? And it actually leads me to the, the, the second point, which is the scary point, <laughs> starting in verse 14. Obey God with a good attitude. What the nurse saw in that moment wasn't just obedience. It was obedience with a good attitude. So look again at verse 14, as if I haven't read it to you enough. I'm going to read it to you again. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Everything. Everything, including and maybe especially during suffering. 
Difficult times, right? Do everything without grumbling or, or, or arguing. Grumbling. Grumbling is like a murmuring. Grumbling. We know what grumbling is. like. So sometimes it's just to yourself. I can't believe this. You know? Sometimes it's just maybe into the ear of one or two people. It's like, can you? You know? That's gr- we know what that is, okay? Arguing. Arguing is grumbling on steroids. It's, it's louder, okay? So, so arguing is just grumbling louder and usually directed at somebody, okay? So grumbling kind of festers for a while, and then it comes out. It bursts out like a volcano at somebody. And we get what that is, right? And he's saying, do everything. Universally, if you're a Christian, everything you do has to be done without grumbling and arguing. I, I just got to ask you guys. What comes out of you when life kind of squeezes you? Okay? What would the people, if I got to talk to the people immediately around you, okay, maybe that's the better way to ask it. What would they say comes out of you when life squeezes you uncomfortably? How much does it take to get you grumbling and arguing? Guys, when I said that this is uh, simple but not easy, I actually think that this thing right here is a huge problem for God's church. This culture of allowing grumbling and arguing. And I don't even have to project that on you. I'm saying this is a problem for me. And I think it's a problem all of us. If we're going to embrace this humility thing, if we're really going to ask God, please let us be the kind of church that's known for humility, it's got to land in this kind of place right here, that we just reject grumbling and arguing. Why? You guys, it's toxic and it's contagious. It, it just keeps seeping out. Guys, I saw this dark stuff even in that hospital room. So every now and then, because we're all agitated, we're all, you know, a little nervous. And so every now and then they'd be like, well, what did that doctor even say? I don't even get that. Wait, why didn't they check that before? Why didn't, you know what I mean? And some of you are health professionals are like, you know. So yeah, I was one of those guys. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. But here's what happens. One person starts it, and pretty soon it starts going out and starts seeping out. And pretty soon there's a whole revolution, right? All of a sudden the whole, take him out. What You know, like it just, that's what happens, right? Here's what I'm saying. As Christians, we have to stop, stop. What's going on politically? What's going on in our neighborhood? What's going on here and there? And, and all of a sudden, we can be like, can you believe it? And pretty soon, it festers up. And all of a sudden, we're known for our argumentative spirits. We're known for what we're against, right? What good comes from toxic grumbling? No good thing. Conversely, what happens when you actually embrace this part of the gospel and you do everything without grumbling and arguing. I'll tell you what happens. It's, it's right here. Then we are, look at that in verse 15, blameless, pure children of God and faultless. Blameless, pure, faultless. I mean, you can even underline those three words. Here's what characterizes somebody that is so fixed with humility, they reject grumbling and arguing. They become known for being blameless, pure, and faultless. Here's what's really interesting about these words. All three of these words, if you were looking at them in the Greek language that Paul wrote in, all of them start with the same letter, alpha. Alpha often, not always, often is used to negate. So it's not argumentative, not this or that. So all three of these words are something that we're not supposed to be. In other words, 
we're not blameworthy or blaming all the time. We're blameless, right? We're not awful. We're, the idea is kind of sacred. We're not awful. We're sacred. We're not hypocritical. We're pure. The, the word is actually not hypocritical. And, and so positively, you're pure, right? You're not hypocritical. You're, you're not defective. You're true. You're sincere. You're faultless. Now, why does Paul use the negative way to say what we're supposed to be? It's because, look what he says, we are to be that way in contrast to what the rest of the people around us in this perverted, crooked generation, what they would normally be like, we're supposed to be not that. Does that make sense? That's why he uses the negative for the words because he's trying to say the most easy natural thing in the world is to be grumbling, argumentative. Instead, reject that and you will find that you will shine like stars in the world. So, it's so fun being in a plurality of, of elders, and my dear friend Eric helped me to understand this part of the passage even more as we talk this through. So, you guys, he, he just, I should have just given you the mic, Eric, because you'll do this better than I will, but here's my imitation of Eric telling me this. Um, he said, you know, in the ancient world, stars were a really important part of just ongoing life, right? So, when the, in fact, the, the very first of the natural sciences is astronomy because people were just fixated in awe. They called it the cosmos. It's beautiful, like cosmetics, cosmos. It's beautiful. In fact, the early astronomers were almost always like priests because there was something so fantastic about looking up at this firmament, at the stars. They would name the stars. God himself, through the scriptures, says he's named the stars. They're part of our world. They, they guide us, right? The ancient ships were guided by those stars. Farmers knew the seasons and what was coming by, by watching the, the stars. And they told stories and they would make pictures out of them, right? It was, it was all of that. It was like living and part of, and it, it, it caused wonder and awe. Here's what he's saying. The reason he's taking stars is because you will stand out in this culture, guys, like stars in the firmament, if people look over and see a story being drawn out because of your life, as they're, as they're drawn to beautiful pictures of the gospel by looking at your life, as you guide them through their own storms, as you guide the seasons of life because they can look to you, you're like the north star to them, all of a sudden you become like stars in the heavens. Why? Because you reject the most natural thing in the world to do when the heat is turned up and instead you choose to be the kind of people who are blameless, pure, and faultless. You fixed your eyes on Jesus. The, the word of life, you're holding firm to the word of life. It, it's tethering you and pulling you through these storms. And people are watching and they're like, man, that, that is beautiful. I, I, I want to know what that's like. I'm fixated on you and you are fixated on Jesus. And so you're dragging them to Jesus on your way, right? Which is how Paul closes this. Then he says, man, do that, Philippians, because then I can boast in the day of Christ. I didn't run. I didn't labor for nothing. In fact, even if I end up being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service here of your faith, he's saying if my life is poured out, if, if this ends very badly for me from a human standpoint, if I die, he's in prison as he's writing this, if this jail sentence ends not in my release but in my death, if I actually 
die, worth it. I am glad, look at this, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. It's more important that I was here long enough to lead you guys to Christ and knowing that you're strong, knowing that you're enduring, it's enough for me. I will actually be glad and rejoice even if I die with that happy thought that you're doing well, therefore you also should be glad and rejoice. The words that are repeated to us at the end of this whole thing is be glad and rejoice, be glad and rejoice. How? By following Christ, bowing to his lordship in a glad, joy-filled surrender and waiting that great day where he'll finally say, yeah, enough. Let me take you home. You've served me well, and there's a lot of people out there that know me because of you. Well done. Let me just take you home in gladness and joy. Guys, like you, I bring a lot of stuff into this room today. I might be driving to Chicago again even this afternoon because things aren't going well for my sister-in-law, right? This world has real pain, right? It's real stuff. You guys have it just like I do. If we want to be the kind of people in the kind of church marked by humility, I'm going to look around this room and everybody I encounter, and I'm going to believe you're more important than I am. At all points, at all times, you're more important than I am. I'm going to be fixated on Jesus, who had a way infinitely higher station than me and wasn't afraid to just let loose of that in order to come and serve me. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on Jesus. He's the only one that's going to put this into my head. Give me guidance. Give me strength. Give me grace. And when all of a sudden I find it tough to obey Jesus... I'm choosing obedience because you know what? I took a knee. I took a knee. I am declaring his lordship and I'm going to obey. And when it gets tough, I'm going to obey with a good attitude. Not because it comes natural, but because Jesus is going to draw me there. Guys, I promise you, if you and I decide that's the path for us, this place is going to be crawling with people who want to know what is it about you. These stars up on that hill. These stories being told about this God out there. That's the kind of thing I want to know. Not the grumbling, not the argumentative, not the kind of Christian that just is always grousing about this and that. Nothing's ever right at the workplace. No, 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 no. No, stop, stop. Humility looks like joy and gladness surrendering to Jesus and let him filling us with gospel-fueled joy. Man, isn't that the kind of church you want to be? That's the kind of person I want to be. So I, w- I want us to go to Jesus with that. So will you, will you bow with me? Let's close up our Bibles. Let's talk to him just for a minute here. And then we're going to worship. Can I just give you a few seconds just to let it kind of soak in, Okay. And if you have been known, even recently, by grumbling and arguing, can you just say that to Jesus right now? I mean, he knows, right? But by saying it to him, you're acknowledging it's not right. It's another way to take a knee. 
bow to him. Because Jesus, we don't want to make it hard for people to come to know you because we just make you look bad. Sometimes we do that. Lord, what we really want is to be like stars in the sky that are so changed by you. So remarkably transformed. It's not even because we're doing it to put on a show. We're, it's true. We, we obey you and find this gladness and joy somehow. It's crazy. And if that can be used by you, Lord, to draw more and more and more citizens into heaven, oh, man, what a joy. So God, hear us kind of broken, <laughs> but man, we need you. We think you can fix us. We know you can. So that's why we're coming to you even now. Change me, change us, change this church to be marked by humility. And we will love you and adore you all the more for it. And we pray in Christ's name.